welcome to the Sunday's edition of the Bug Report. On the evening of Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020, we may or may not know who won the 2020 presidential elections because of the role that mail-in ballots may play in the critical battleground states of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Florida, respectively. Other states, such as Iowa, North Dakota, Kentucky, Kansas, Massachusetts, and Virginia would only stop counting ballots for an average of three days after election night. Despite voter uncertainty and historic voter suppression in some immigrant and minority districts in Republican-controlled states, more than 84 million American citizens have voted so far, making the voter turnout in this election cycle the highest in a century, according to pollsters, political scientists, and political historians. Some reputable pollsters are predicting an aggregate total of 150 million votes to be cast by the time the last vote is counted and the history of the 2020 election cycle has been written. A vision of our nation as a beloved community where all are welcome, no matter what we look like, no matter where we come from or who we love. In times as challenging as these, I believe there's only one way forward. As a united America, a united America, united in our pursuit of a more perfect union. But you have no choice but to vote for me because your 401ks, down the tubes, everything's gonna be down the tubes. So whether you love me or hate me, you gotta vote for me. The voter turnout is a reflection of the high stakes that are at play in this election cycle. A deadly global pandemic, an economy in a full-blown recession, the state of the Affordable Health Care Act or Obamacare, the balance or lack thereof of the United States Supreme Court, racial inequality, unequal policing and instances of police brutality, abortion, taxes, and so many more pressing and critical issues. For the Caribbean American community, these elections are also critical as the current White House occupant has targeted policies that directly affect Caribbean American immigrants, including more aggressive deportation approaches in so-called sanctuary cities, an aggressive push to rescind the Obama-era DACA program, the elimination of a temporary protected status granted to Haitian migrants, the elimination and reduction of diversity visa quotas, as well as the changes, proposed changes to the public charge rule that attempts, attempted to deny immigrant communities green cards. We have the Republicans, given what they've demonstrated to us right now, continue down this path. The pain will only become increasingly hard on the people of the United States. So people have to get out. The Caribbean American demographic is also a critical voting bloc in the Republican-run states of Georgia, Texas, and Florida, respectively. These states have also been a hotbed for voter suppression efforts. Today on the Bub Report, we present our American election episode. But first we will turn our attention to St. Vincent and the Grenadines, 
where Dr. Godwin Friday of the conservative New Democratic Party is attempting to end the incumbency of the self-declared socialist Prime Minister Dr. Ralph Gonzales, who might be on the verge of winning an unprecedented fifth term to become the island's longest-serving Prime Minister. We will be right back with our spotlight guest from St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Jomo Thomas, a former member of the ULP and former Speaker of the House. In addition to our full American election panel, which includes Michael Roberts, Dr. Natalie Hopkinson, Joanne Entwine, and Dr. Cindy Duke. The Bob Report will be right back. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this Sunday's edition of the Bub Report. It is election eve here in the United States. It's also election eve, or the eve of the eve, of an election in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Uh, we certainly want to address uh, election issues from a Caribbean-American lens uh, because we believe that the Caribbean vote is also as critical as other constituencies in this country. But before we get into a full American election panel, uh, I want to welcome uh, Jomo Thomas. Uh, he was a former Speaker of the House of Assembly in St. Vincent. Now he is a private uh, practicing human rights attorney. Uh, Mr. Thomas, welcome to the Bob Report. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Jomo, yes, uh, public opinion polling on the November 5th election in St. Vincent and the Grenadines is a bit sparse. Are you predicting a Ralph Gonzalez victory for a fifth consecutive term? Well, I am not... I have been writing on these elections since July, and in my July 27 column, I said I thought it was too close to call. Mm -hmm. And in the last three columns, I three weeks ago, I did a column uh, in which I tried to dissect the state of play in the five constituencies that I believe are still up for grabs. In my July 27 column, I did say of the 15 seats, parliamentary seats. I thought the ULP, the governing ULP had six seats and the opposition had four. Mm -hmm. And in two weeks ago, I did an analysis of the five constituencies. I thought that while it is possible for the ULP to win all five that are being contended for, I don't think it is probably that that would happen. I also think that there are formidable challenges in two of the seats of the current eight that the ULP had. That's the seat in central Leeward and the seat in North Windward. The North Windward seat is the extreme north of the country where the historically the Garifuna people live for the most part. But that seat in the central Leeward seat. Interestingly, both of these constituencies are two of the poorest constituencies in the country. So you can expect that both parties are spending an enormous amount of money trying to see how they can split the votes one video. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, Jomo, uh, Dr. Gonzalez is painting a stark contrast with his opponent, Dr. Friday uh, of the NDP. He has campaigned on not ending diplomatic relations with Taiwan. As a matter of fact, St. Vincent is one of the few Caribbean countries that still have diplomatic relations with Taiwan. 
um, and as well as not selling Vincentian passports, meaning he, he's campaigning on not getting into a citizenship by investment program as exists in uh, neighboring Grenada and St. Kitts and other Caribbean islands. Uh, is, is this election also a, a referendum on, on, on your country's relationship with Taiwan? And is it also a referendum on, on sovereignty? Well, I don't think it's a referendum on our relationships with Taiwan at all. Uh, we entered in a relationship with Taiwan in 1981, when Taiwan was hardly a very democratic country. But when St. Vincent became independent in 1979, it simply followed the lead of the colonial authorities. And by 1981, we established diplomatic relations. Taiwan has come a long way in terms of fortifying its democracy. But I don't think that is going to be a central um, issue in our, in our elections. The ULP has spent a lot of time talking about it. But the thing is that over the years, I think Taiwan has given us um, what? Just over 100 scholarships. And those persons whose children are still there may be concerned because um, they are wondering what would happen to their children if relationship, if the re diplomatic relationship is broken. Mm -hmm. The thing is that the opposition, back in 2016, the former leader of the opposition, Mr. Arnim Eustace, had announced that if his party were to win, um, was to win, they would um, break relations. But I think the current leader, Dr. Godwin Friday, have backed away from that position. And he's essentially saying that the status quo would continue. So I don't think that is going to be a major problem. Then there's the issue of sovereignty about selling of the passports. I think that um, in many respects, that argument has been made in a very vulgar fashion, if I may say that. Uh, and a lot of the ads which the current Unity Labour Party is, is dealing with, a lot of those ads are, in my mind, invoking what I perceive to be the worst and lowest vibration of human being, that beings that are fair. There's an overwhelming um, attempt on the part of the governing party to utilize fear. Oh, the Chinese are coming. The Chinese are going to take over your airport. The Chinese are going to take over your... Um, but is, 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 is it fair? Is it fair or is there a legitimate concern? Well, I, well, I don't think it's a legitimate concern because I don't see um, um, in, the, uh, in the Caribbean here, I don't see where that becomes, where that have become an issue. Mm -hmm. And the other point, which I heard a, a politician responding to this argument made, and I got to tell you, I don't, I am not a supporter of, C, of CBI mm -hmm. because I don't think that it is a panacea for the difficulties and problems which our people are facing. What I, 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 I can say, however, is that when someone takes a loan, whether it's to buy a house or a car, the clear conditionality is that if you don't pay, you're going to lose something. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me the leaders who would take $100 million to build a port and then can't pay and make an arrangement that says, if I can't pay, I'm going to lose my port. That's on them and on the country that they were elected to govern. But I, I, I really think that I, I am not so sure that those issues on the passport issue or the um, relationship with Taiwan will be a major deciders in our elections come Thursday. Interesting. Now, in an article that you wrote back in July, and I think you referenced it here as well, you made the point that many Vincentians feel neglected, turned off, or simply not impressed with the governance of Dr. Ralph Gonzalez. Uh, now, now, Mr. Thomas, that may be the case, but I've, 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 um, 
you know, observe that, you know, with respect to St. Vincent's um, economic growth during this period, it's, it's one of the countries that has remained steady um, during this period. So what would you say would still account for that disaffection? Is it because Dr. Ralph Gonzalez has been in power for as long as he has been in power? Well, I think um, in many respects, St. Vincent is a very um, Dickinsonian society. We are, um, we are experiencing the best of times and the worst of times. So you have, in my mind, a certain level of, of, of advancement. We built an international airport, we built some schools, we have more scholarships for our students. But on the fundamental questions that touch and concern people, jobs and health, people are not feeling as though um, there's a lot of um, advancements that are being made there. In fact, there are certain, the IMF says that we now have, I think, 22, 23% unemployment. That was mm -hmm. the same um, percentage of employment which, unemployment which we had in 2001 when the, when the ULP emerged victorious. Yet other thing is that in the last two elections, in 2010 and 2015, the, the, in the 15-member parliament, pa parliament, the governing side got eight seats and the opposition got seven. Uh, in addition to that, the country is literally split down the middle. You have, in the last election, you had about 48% of the people, 48 point something percent of the people voting for the opposition. They got seven seats and the ULP got, I think, 51 point something percent of the votes. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is the reality that 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 we have there are large um swaths of um within central society who are disaffected who feel as a certain malaise but as i said in my most recent column which was published on friday if anybody can do it gonzalez pm gonzalez has the audacity he has the experience he has the commitment he has the drive and from what we are seeing his party certainly has the money to do what it needs to do to retain power what about Dr. Godwin Friday? Finally, Dr. Friday, uh, he he's taken over the reins of, of, of the NDP from Arnim Eustace, uh, who, as I understand it, is not in, in the best of health these days. Uh, but 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 would you say that his his ascension to the leadership of the party uh, would affect the party's performance in this election? As a matter of fact, they actually came very close on the Eustace's uh, leadership in the previous election. They they almost won the election, and remember that that became a case in the court and it became a contentious what was it the north leeward seat i believe it was well they were actually they were actually um two seats it was a north windward seat and the central leeward seats north windward and central leeward yeah so would you say that uh he would have solidified uh uh the the, the organizational capacity of of the ndp uh to to actually win this election well when he i, I have called i have said that the elections are too close to call and my friends in the governing unity labor party who were talking about 11 12 13 or as much as 14 seats mm -hmm. uh saying that i am biased that i am showing an opposition um deed. this is not the case at all i'm just trying to look at the reality on the ground as you said that um god dr Godwin friday emerged as a leader in 2016 he had he has had to beat off the challenge from longtime parliamentarian sinclair leacock and there was some instability there because there was a leacock was not pleased with, with the way things turned out and he said certain things that the party had to try to repair i can tell you this though my friend st vincent 
is anti-colonial St. Vincent or post-colonial St. Vincent is not post-colonial. One of the difficulties Godwin, um, the former opposition leader, Adam Hughes, had is that he had the complexion like both of us. As you would see, Godwin Friday is of a lighter hue. So it's an intangible, but on the issue of likability, it may well be that people may be willing to, to pull the trigger, to pull the vote in lever for a Godwin Friday in a way in which they were not willing to do so for Arnim Eustace. Godwin Friday is 61 years old. Mr. Eustace is now, I think, 75 or 76. You are correct. He's not in the best of health and he's not running again. But I still believe it's too close to call. I believe that it is real possible that we may end up with a similar parliamentary formation, 8-7, and that it may go either way. I don't think any party is going to win more than nine seats if that if that happens at all. Okay, a question from uh, one of our viewers. Jose Philippe says, what do you think of, about the announcement that the PM made at the end of his independence speech? I, I don't know what announcement that was. Do you know what I, announcement he made? I am not, I am not sure. I, I know... Um, I, I, I got to tell you, I thought it was a very unstatesmanly um, independence address. It was more political address because um, the elections date had already been announced. So that independence address was October 27th. Elections, as you know, are December 5th. There, November, was, a lot, yeah. there was a lot of talks about giving away goodies and so on. Um, sharing but, that, but, but, that's what, but that's what Caribbean politicians do, Mr. Tom. No, but I'm saying, I'm it's, saying. That the, it, the it, it, it was not statesmanly in my mind. Okay. Another address could have, could, have, could, have, could have dealt with that. Okay. Um, Gonzalez has, is on record of saying that a, that a, that a good statesman is a dead is a dead is a dead politician. Mm. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, and and uh, Ryan Gabon says politics is lethal. Certainly in the Caribbean, it, it can be in, in some parts. I mean, we we had uh, before you go. There was also uh, an incident, uh, an alleged shooting incident, involving supporters of either side. Uh, what what's the outcome of that investigation? Or was there any truth well, to that? The opposition supporters were going to a meeting. Actually, it happened to be the same meet, same constituency where I contested last time. Mm. And there was a shooting. The police said that the, the police said um, that the, the police made an announcement in which they said that it was put, they were police warning shots. And nothing else has been said about that. No one was arrested. Um, a close colleague of mine who works in that constituency said that they had fingered somebody who supports the opposition, hmm. whom they claim was the person that fired the shots, but then that person was not arrested. So I really don't know, but all we have to do is sit back and look at what happens by about 8, 9 o'clock on Thursday evening. We should know whether um, uh, Prime Minister Gonzalez's campaign, he says he's the world boss. We would know if he's indeed the world boss on, 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 um, on Thursday evening. We certainly know that he's the heavyweight of, of, of Caribbean political leaders. He has been there for four consecutive terms. I don't know if in our Caribbean history we have had a leader who has led his party to five consecutive terms. No, I, yeah, I don't think there would be. So that would be uh, historic. Uh, Jomo, thank you so much. And we will be watching the space over there in St. Vincent. You have a good day, yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, viewers and listeners, we will be right back. It's been a, an, an, an all-out assault 
on immigrants mm -hmm. in this country. It's I mean, it, it the level of fearing anxiety in the in the faces of the people of the ninth congressional district and other immigrant communities across this nation is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. right. So whether it's the Muslim ban, whether it's suspending uh, DACA, whether it's uh, eliminating temporary protected status, mm -hmm. whether it's separating uh, children from their parents at the southern border, whether it's uh, trying to eliminate diversity visas. Mm -hmm. This last public charge rule is just, you know, compounding what has been a, a really horrific um, uh, approach mm -hmm. to a broken immigration system. Welcome back, folks, and I uh, thank you so much for joining us and staying with us this morning. Uh, so we are going to turn to our Caribbean American panel. Uh, we were supposed to have a gentleman on, on, on the panel today with us, but uh, we were unable to get, uh, you know, make contact. Uh, but uh, certainly we are here. We have a panel of Caribbean American, what I would call strong women, strong, powerful women who are making their impact here in the United States. So let me welcome our guests. Uh, Joanne Antoine, uh, Dr. Cindy Duke, uh, Dr. Natalie Hopkinson, and we have a late addition, and I certainly thank her, Deshauna Bernard, for agreeing to appear with us. Uh, so let me just uh, first of all introduce the panel. Dr. Hopkinson is Associate Professor in the School of Communications at Howard University. She's also a published author of several books, including A Mouth is Always Muzzled. Our late guest who is joining us this morning is Deshauna Bernard, who has spent over a decade shaping a career that is dedicated to progressive politics and partnerships. She has worked for the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, the Democratic National Committee, Hillary Clinton for America, Abrams for Governor, and served as a special advisor to Elizabeth Warren's political team for her Senate re-election campaign. And most recently in this election cycle, she served as the National Director of Black Outreach for Senator Warren's presidential campaign. Uh, she works at the intersection of technology and politics with uh, the leading company in peer-to-peer -peer texting, Hustle, where she serves as the director of political partners. Joanne Antoine uh, joined Common Cause Maryland in 2016, where she manages state outreach and engagement for key policy campaigns, specifically around money in politics and voting rights. She now serves as an executive director where she is responsible for creating and implementing Maryland's organization's policy campaigns and building its capacity. Uh, she worked, has worked as an organizer in numerous capacities, both in the United States and Haiti, and is focused on engaging the diaspora, specifically young women in politics. And finally, Dr. Duke. Uh, Dr. Duke, I didn't know this, but you're actually the sister of the award-winning um, Trinbegonian actor, preferably, I'm sure, to be called Tubegonian, uh, Winston Duke. Uh, you're all, she's also a physician, entrepreneur, blogger, content creator, and influencer who writes about issues as they relate to life, health, and business for women. 
Dr. Cindy's keen eye towards issues affecting those within the global health diaspora is informed by her own immigrant upbringing by a single mother. Panel, welcome to the Bub Report. Thank you for having us. Hi, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, so we are going into a very uh, crucial and, and some might say uh, life-altering presidential election. Mm -hmm. And I will throw this question out to everyone. How crucial, how important uh, is the, the Caribbean American vote? And, and, and I would preface this by saying that recent polling, uh, Everybody's Magazine, which is a Caribbean American magazine, they recently did a poll in which they said that voter enthusiasm among Caribbean Americans are not as, 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 as fortified, as strong with Biden as it is, as it was with Hillary Clinton. Uh, so uh, Deshaun, I would start with you. I was hoping that you would have kicked it to Joanne, uh, but okay, let's go. Um, first of all, can we acknowledge that this is the all-female panel? I love the fact that it's all women because yes. get things done always. Um, so uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure I, I fully agree with that. I think that often what I've learned in over the time uh, working in democratic politics is that everyone should run their own race, right? So you know. Hillary Clinton is going to be Hillary Clinton. Joe Biden is going to be Joe Biden. I think the Clintons have had a long-standing relationship with the United States and also with the Caribbean by extension, right? I think Joanne could speak better to their work with their foundation in Haiti. Um, uh, Bill Clinton um, uh, has been well-known and, and, and kept very strong relations with a lot of the government, the state governments in the Caribbean region. So I don't think that necessarily translates to talk about excitement. I think if anything, the ticket that Joe Biden has formed with Vice Presidential Kamala Harris has increased incitement, excitement around Caribbean Americans, particularly before in the past, usually you would see that Caribbean Americans are engaged very late. Um, Joanna and myself have talked about this before. Um, and I think this time around, because um, of his vice presidential pick, you've seen from national news to even regional news, kind of tracking the fact that Kamala Harris is coming from as Jamaican American and uh, Jamaican ancestry, which has then pivoted for folks to take a look at what are the contributions of Caribbean American voters? What gets them excited? What is their power? And I, the last piece I would say about our power, when we talk about the vote, when we highlight these key swing states, also known as battleground states, that uh, both parties, both Republicans and Democrats, are pumping tons of money into to engage voters, have conversations with voters. You're looking at states like Florida. You're looking at states like Georgia. You're looking at states like Pennsylvania. And all of these states have very high Caribbean American populations. Florida alone has over 800,000 Caribbean immigrants right there in Florida alone. And Florida is known to be a swing state. We kind of hold our breaths and watch to see how people vote and turn out in Florida. So saying that to say, when you kind of connect all of the dots, you see our influence, you see our stories. I'm excited about this moment, no matter which way it goes, particularly for our community, because it's high time. At least that's how I see it. It's high time that people pay attention. This means that it sets the stage for everything that we do moving forward, not for 2024, but even for the midterms that will come immediately following. Uh, Joanne, you have been engaged in um, get out the vote efforts where you are. Uh, mm -hmm. The same question, uh, that voter enthusiasm, uh, what are you seeing? 
Yeah, I mean, I echo everything that Deshauna has said. I mean, when you look at our community historically, I'd say we're always excited whenever there's there's an election coming up, right? Uh, and this election isn't any different. I think what's happening is that the parties are paying attention to us, right? You know, in all previous elections, it would be right now that you see candidates going into the community, uh, going into the Caribbean community, trying to do last minute stops to our churches and not really building an authentic relationship where they're allowing for the community to actually provide feedback and ask questions, right? Um, and I think um, what's happening because of Kamala, right, and her uh, chief of staff, who is Haitian, um, I think Florida's uh, one of the advisors there is Haitian. They also have a number of Caribbean staffers. What we've seen them do is build out a program that is literally, you know, focused on engaging our community alone, right? So inclusive language, uh, going into, even going to the local potty store, right? And and doing one-on-one -on -one conversations there. And I think that's what has allowed for uh, the excitement to just be a lot more visible. Cause we've always done caravans. We've always done, we've always tried to do our own small events around voter registration and so forth. It's just that no one was paying attention. But I think, you know, what we're seeing in Florida obviously is getting a lot more attention, but we know that New York forever has been doing this. Uh, Jersey, you know, when I lived in Jersey, we were always doing uh, voter registration efforts, targeting the Caribbean community. Um, it's the same here in Maryland. So I think, again, the time is just allowing us to be focused more um, on what's happening, um, but it isn't, it isn't specific to just this election. Dr. Duke? Yes, I agree with everything that was said so far. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate when people say we're not very enthusiastic. I just think we show enthusiasm differently. But also, I think when you look at our communities, many times we're not aware of the issues that are really at stake for our specific communities. As a matter of fact, many of us think, you know, it doesn't matter who's in charge. We're very hardy people. We're very goal-directed. We're going to make it work. But the truth is there's some really big issues at stake. It's important that we get enthusiastic when it comes to women's health, women's health care, infertility care. There are just so many things when it comes to health care that are at stake here with this election and going forward when it comes to decisions being made about health insurance, decisions being made about access to care, when it, decisions being made about family unification and reunification and, you know, while many of us are appalled at what we're seeing in terms of the approaches to different immigrant communities, many of us still feel like we're somewhat separated from it because it's happening at the border, at the US-Mexico border, for example. But many of these are really preludes and previews of what could happen if we don't think about it and vote. Whichever way it goes, you should still vote. It's not up to us to stay at home and hope that everybody else gets it together. We have to get out there and participate. That's one of the joys of being a citizen, is get out there and participate. Uh, Dr. Hopkinson, I would turn with you as, 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 as the academician in the room. Uh, now, uh, Trump's rhetoric, uh, it, it seems to be having some kind of impact. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm not going to quantify this impact impact in any way because uh, it has not been properly studied with respect to the Caribbean American vote. But there appears to be some resonance of Donald Trump uh, with some Caribbean uh, Americans, especially black Caribbean men. Uh, what would you account for that? So I'll just tell my own business. 
um, which is my, uh, you know, my father-in-law's Jamaican uh, Trump supporter. And I will say with my, my whole uh, sample size of one, um, I could say that, you know, this isn't a scientific answer, but I'll say that for him, first of all, he's not registered. He's not a, he hasn't, like a lot of people, a lot of us have not actually, like we're uh, residents, we're not, uh, we haven't gotten our citizen, full citizenship. So voting is something that you're not as engaged in in general. You know, he he feels like he's going to go back to Jamaica. That's his home. He want, He's a first class citizen back in Jamaica. And that's what he wants to be. Um, as far as Trump's rhetoric, it's very appealing to him because he's indoctrinated in these media systems that so much of Americans are. I mean, he is a heavy Fox News um, fan. Like that's his family. He's watching it constantly. He's watching, he's listening to talk radio, you know? So these, this is the, the biggest cable network in the United States. So it's not just him. So, you know, I think just sort of um, echoing what some of the other panelists have said, you know, Caribbeans, we're, we're like many people, um, you know, in this country, we are, we are taking the same diet, media diet, really trash media diet uh, that many Americans are, are getting. And that's going to, that does in fact, the way that you look at voting and the way you, the choices you make as voters. And, and, and one of the, one of the things that uh, Trump talks about is fake news, right? He, he reintroduced, and I think the notion of fake news is not something that's new. Uh, but but he's given it a new popular vernacular. Uh, how right. much do you think his his delegitimizing of objective reality and objective truth is also affecting what people think about uh, politics and what people think about um, just ju just their lived realities? Absolutely. I mean, it's been so effective um, at really sort of exactly what you just said, um, allowing everyday people to question the very idea of reality. So perfect example in my in my in my study of one, uh, you know, we have the footage of Trump. He has COVID. He's leaving the hospital. He's endangering his security staff by getting in a limo and doing that whole PR stunt where he's waving to his supporters. Right at first, when it happened, so I'm asking my father-in-law, who's 75, what what? How could you support this? And he's like, oh well, first of all, I don't believe that that's true. Right. And so then I pull it up on Fox News and I say, look, this is on your Fox News. This actually happened. Right. And then he said, oh, well, yeah, if he did that. That wasn't right. He shouldn't do that. You know, so the whole idea that everybody has sort of there's a um, default. If it's something that's bad about Trump, it's probably not right. You know, that is the only thing that really explains why he has the levels of support that he has. And I think you mentioned, you know, with black men in particular, like there's also been a strategy around black men. There's things that came out recently. Um, there was a contract given to a consulting company called Atlas with, I think it might've been the Department of Homeland Security where under the guise of Homeland Security, they did, they, they studied celebrities and looked to see, you know, who, would, who has not criticized Trump who they can involve in, you know, some public messaging around wearing uh, masks, and so you see in these documents that have come out, who is one of them? Lil Wayne. Then Lil Wayne ends up coming. You know, later it comes out that he's, you know, has visited the White House, and so they really have had a strategy around around black men in particular um, that the, uh, you know, that the GOP side has had, 
And, you know, all of it, it's like, you know, when you look at these polls, you wonder how could we be 220,000 people dead, more, more and counting. Um, you know, we have super spreader events. How is it possible that it could even be close? The answer is in the question that you're asking, Kellen, which is around media. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and, and as a media scholar, it's something that I pay attention to as well. Right. It's, it's that rhetoric and the impact of that rhetoric. Uh, but let me bring in the other panelists. Now, the, the other issues, uh, voter suppression appears to be a, a big issue in this election. Uh, and so is gerrymandering. Um, I know that, uh, Joanne, it's something that you've been working on, you know, uh, with, uh, I believe, with Common Cause and in addition to your other work. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of voter suppression? How acute is it? Are, are the media reports exaggerating this, or, 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 or do we have targeted voter suppression against uh, minority communities? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely targeted. Um, I, I think the media makes it confusing to voters at times. So if you're here in Maryland, you're hearing about what's happening in Georgia and Florida, you know, you think the same is going on here in the state. Um, but you know, unfortunately, bad actors will go to great lengths to not only um, confuse voters, um, but to even uh, intimidate them when they finally make it uh, to go in person uh, to vote on election day, hopefully um, before election day. Um, so we work with the National uh, Nonpartisan Election Protection Program, which is run by a Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. The ED there is actually a Caribbean woman. So Kristen Clark, uh, Marcia Blanco's from Guyana. She runs the 866R vote program. Um, and it's had to be multi-layer, right? There's the hotline where voters are able to call, report issues, at, ask questions about anything. Uh, there's the on the ground effort here in Maryland. We have over 400 volunteers that are at all of the vote centers monitoring everything from, um, you know, if there's intimidating signs to if there's long lines so that we can go and assist the voter who maybe has disabilities, who can't stand in line for long and so forth. There's the social media monitoring layer. There's thousands of volunteers actually, even right now, who are online searching keywords um, that we know, unfortunately, are targeting black voters, right? And they're targeting young people. Even in a very blue state like this one, when you look at a jurisdiction like Baltimore City, Prince George's County, where we have these large populations of black and brown voters, will, you know, it could be something as simple as an ad that says, go vote on Wednesday, right? And you'd be surprised a lot of times, you know, especially during COVID, people are thinking about how they're gonna pay rent you know, it's the first of the month today. How am I gonna pay rent? Uh, are my kids going back to school in a day or two? And you're not thinking, you just saw this date and it sticks with you and somehow you've missed election day. Um, so unfortunately it's had to be even more aggressive. There's over 40,000 volunteers all throughout the country helping to monitor vote centers, especially in the swing states like Florida, uh, Georgia, Pennsylvania, where we know uh, that voters are gonna be experiencing issues up until you know the very last minute when they're in line. Uh, Deshauna? Yeah, I mean, Joanne pretty much nailed it, you know, checked all the boxes on the things. And I even want to bring up, like, uh, after working on Stacey Abrams race in Georgia, watching this happen in real time um, is not for the faint of heart. You have people that have waited hours, know they've registered, then showing up and being told that they can't find their registration or being turned away at the polls. And, you know, in our a conversation that we had, a couple of weeks ago around the Caribbean American vote, when we, why would they go at these lengths? 
to ensure that they disempower people at the poll. Like Dr. Duke talked about, it is on us to you know participate in democracy, to show up. This is the one thing and the one lane that we can actively have a say. Our voices literally translate into the law of the land. And that therefore, um, the bad actors like, like Joanne is referencing, they are aware of that and they know that. So be it an ad, be it some of the organizing that they did with the media and the strategy that uh, Dr. Hopkins also highlighted, people vote by their interests, right? So you may target a particular group around a particular issue. It's COVID pandemic. You see one party uh, amplifying um, disinformation around like, if I'm not reelected, this is going to happen. And then another party having to rebut that information to provide facts, right? So we now enter this very gray area of what is fact and how that translates to Abuta when you're thinking about paying your rent, when you're thinking about this is I'm in the middle of a pandemic, when you're thinking about that, am I going to lose my health insurance, right? Multiple things and multiple issues, but we still have to remember that we are grateful that there are spaces like this one where we can get, we can have these conversations and continue to have these conversations, particularly in our community. And I think as much as it, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, it has caused um, a, a space where folks kind of are listening differently. I don't know if other people can relate to that, but you know, even the fact that you know people are like tuning in more online, people are joining conversations, people now have more access to information and even experts than they probably would have had before. Um, and we have to use that and use it wisely because everyone whether good actor or not they're definitely using it and, and implementing their strategies across across the country and dr duke i want to segue into the conversation around health this election uh is you know brings up a lot of serious and important health issues we have a challenge to the affordable care act uh that is the supreme court case that will be happening right after the elections uh, the, the narrative suggests that that is why the republicans wanted to get the FedEx, as someone say, FedEx, they're a Supreme Court nominee to the court. Uh, but you also have a major pandemic that has disproportionately affected Caribbean American communities. Dr. Duke, from where you sit as a physician, uh, what, what is your messaging or what would your messaging look like uh, in, in, in tying the importance of this election to healthcare outcomes? Yes. And I would tell you, I'm saying this as a physician and also as a PhD trained virologist. Mm -hmm. And the past 11 months have been incredibly shocking to watch. And as the panel has said, it's really the erosion of the reality that we're facing, which is people are literally choosing to ignore reality and go with sound bites. And that's been so frustrating to watch and scary, especially looking at the stories coming out of the Caribbean American communities in New York City and Florida, et cetera. And yes, healthcare is of paramount importance here. And when I speak of healthcare, I'm talking about overall general health, but I'm also talking about some very critically important constitutional healthcare human rights that we have now been afforded for well over 40 years that are now at stake. And we may start seeing many of them being eroded as quickly as three days after the election, which is when the US Supreme Court does take up a few of those cases, including the case of the Affordable Care Act and whether or not it will remain legal. You know, I think what was done really is remarkable in terms of the creativity in which the Affordable Care Act was 
attacked, so to speak, and delegitimized in the thoughts of so many people. That you literally hear people who are currently taking advantage of the opportunities made available to them from the Affordable Care Act, still complaining that Obamacare is a problem. And I think that's part of the problem was how it was renamed despite its importance to so many people. And so, you know, we're looking at the, across the country and we have 35 to 60 million Americans who are going to be without a job and without workplace health insurance. In the absence of the Affordable Care Act, many of these people are having to live during a pandemic without access to healthcare without access to that intensive care that you might need if you or your family member were landed in the hospital. Yet most people haven't put the connection together and it's disturbing. When it comes to COVID-19, you know, that example of the father-in-law who saw Trump and said, well, it must not be true because our common sense tells us this should not be true because we don't want it to be true simply because it defies all the logic, all the brotopsy we had <laughs> when we were growing up and the critical eye we were taught to look at things with and listen with, with our ears. And so that's very troubling. But I think the other thing that most people don't realize is it's not just about general health care. You know, we talked about abortion. And I know many Caribbean Americans were very conservative and we don't believe in abortion, we say, or we, we use it in hush-hush tones whenever we have to choose it for ourselves because humans were somewhat selfish. We only think of things as being necessary when we need it. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is abusing something, right? But the other thing is, you know, infertility, let's take infertility. One in eight people struggle with infertility, yet we have more and more people entering the United States Supreme Court who do not believe that the key tenets of infertility care, like IVF, et cetera, have a place in our society, which means even those services are at risk here. You know, access to equal healthcare for children, we've long now taken that for granted because well over 20 years ago, that became more universally available in most states. But even that is at risk here, and we need to talk about these things. Dr. Duke, now the, the counter argument would be that the Affordable Care Act is not necessarily very affordable. Right. Uh, the, we had a long fought primary in which Biden's opponent, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, not exactly a, a mainstream Democrat, shall we say. Uh, but but he had he, he was proposing Medicare for all. Now, of course, there, there are issues there with respect to uh, Trump's approach to this. Uh, but what what do you think should be the Democrats uh, strategy in, in, in ensuring that the Affordable Care Health Care Act can actually be affordable? but that if the Supreme Court rules in a particular way, uh, that something can be in place, especially for folks with pre-existing conditions. Yes, and you know, this is important for people to understand, because let's say the Supreme Court were to throw out Obamacare, so to yeah. speak. The only way we can get new laws in place that will provide more coverage, better coverage, more affordable coverage, is if there are people in the House and Senate who can actually vote for a new law. 
And so as it stands right now, the current breakdown, that won't be possible. And so it's not even just about voting for who is your president. Those down ballot votes are going to be extremely important when you walk in there on Tuesday, if you haven't voted already. We need you to understand that you're not just voting for president, you're voting for who decides what happens at the Congress, but also what's happening at your state level, because some of the arguments being made by those opponents to the Affordable Care Act is that this is a state's issue. The states should decide what happens with health care. The states should decide who gets coverage. And so it's actually a very interesting catch-22. The other thing that matters here is the census count, right? So when it comes to allocating funds for health care at the state level and certainly at the federal level, the census count. So I'm really here also to encourage people to, yes, vote for president. Don't just stay home. You know, we've, we're seeing very creative voter suppression. I saw one person post on in, um, Facebook who said that she was hearing that if you are a dual citizen and you vote in the United States, you de facto lose your Caribbean country citizenship oh, if wow. you voted in the United States. That is, in fact, absolutely That's not false. true. That's false. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's false. It's also, I think, the reason why many Caribbean Americans don't get U.S. citizenship is mm -hmm. they assume they have to relinquish their Caribbean citizenship, which I don't actually know currently of any country in the Caribbean where you have to relinquish Caribbean citizenship in order to become a United States citizen. Yet for the last 30, 40 years, that's been an ongoing bit of misinformation that goes out to Caribbean Americans, which is a form of very creative voter suppression on the long-term scope. But, you know, really, when you get out there, I say go vote, bring a friend, bring your neighbor, bring your tante, bring your uncle who loves Trump. Bring him, right? But talk to him in the car, just in case. He but might be able to change his mind. Well, uh, but bring know, him. He's going to be voting for Trump. <laughs> yes. But, you know, it's the, the whole goal is to bring people, but also have the conversation. Most people right now don't realize that their literal individual rights and individual courtesies and things that they've taken as the benefits of being in this great nation are at risk here. And it's not just about voting for your president, it's about voting for the Senate, voting for Congress, voting for your local elections, even your local school boards, et cetera. So much is at stake here. All right, uh, Dr. Duke, on that note, we will take a break and we will come right back to wrap up. The Electoral College was designed by the framers of the Constitution. The idea of having direct popular election was floated. James Madison said, that's a good idea, but here's the problem with it. If we have direct election, the North will outvote the South every time. Let's have a different system in which each state will get a certain number of electoral votes based on that state's population. And in that calculation, slaves can be factored in, albeit with a discount, a three-fifths discount. So the Electoral College enabled the South to have more weight in the system than it would have had in a direct election system. Thomas Jefferson got an extra boost because the Southern states got to count their slaves. 13 extra electoral votes in the election of 1800. The Electoral College isn't because the framers were anti-democratic. It wasn't because they're trying really to create a balance between big and small states. It's more because they needed to balance the interest of the free states against the interests of slave states. It was part of a compromise and a compromise with slavery.
And folks, welcome back uh, to the Bub Report. This has certainly been a very enlightening conversation, but I'm sure our great panel, there's still probably engagement, uh, especially for those of you political activists, are probably engaged in a lot of voter, voter turnout efforts. Uh, so I'm not going to take up much of your time. But what we want to do is that we want to look forward to Tuesday, and then we also want to look past Tuesday uh, to what a, a post-Trump presidency would look like and the impact that his four years would have had on, on, on the American imagination. Uh, political scientists, uh, um, I think uh, Michael Eric Dyson, as a matter of fact, sociologist, he made the point that uh, you know Trump may go, but Trumpism would remain, right? And, and, and so he, th th there is the impression that, you know, even though he's off the scene, that a lot of his ideas, a lot of his, his thinking, uh, the behavior would remain. What are your thoughts? Dr. Hopkinson? So I would say, first of all, I would not count on that just yet, that he'll be leaving. I, I'm, it's, you know, we, we have a lot of more work to do. And, um, you know, the women on this call are, are doing so much of that. So I'm so uh, honored to meet you guys and, and happy for the work that you're doing. Um, Trumpism wasn't, didn't come with Trump. It didn't start with him. It's not going to end with him. So it's sort of like what we're dealing with. I mean, when I think about the election, which often it's too much for me to deal with, I call my Auntie Lynette in Georgetown, Guyana. And I ask her because, you know, in Guyana, this is where they've been living since independence. Every election is racial strife. There's racial violence. Um, you have to hold your nose through multiple uh, <laughs> administrations. And I asked my Auntie Lynette, like, what makes you, how do you get up and go do it again? And she said, look, you know, every day is a day. I get up, I keep going, you know, and that's what we do as a people. We are going to survive this. Um, we have wonderful examples from our, you know, the, throughout the diaspora of people who've been through actually worse. Um, and the thing that I just want to end is on just on a positive note, um, what I'm seeing and what we're seeing, like these record levels of engagement, these are things we have in reinvigorated the electorate in ways that we can't turn back from again. I was able to track my vote on an app to see that they actually got it. And the work doesn't end, whether Trump is reelected, whether we have a new administration, the work does not end on Tuesday. It's, got to, it's, it's part of holding these people accountable and making sure they're delivering for our communities. And that's, a, that's something that ha has to go on every day. Uh, Dr. Duke? I agree completely. And I really think it's important for us not to sit at home today, assuming that the deed is done and we have a new administration coming. It's true. Nothing is guaranteed. We hear of remarkable turnout, but we still don't know who's turning out completely. And so if you're at home, get out there and vote. And after the election, yes, the work continues, particularly in the Caribbean American community. I want to entreat as many people as possible to yeah. go ahead and become a United States citizen. You have the option to keep your citizenship in your home country. It's important to know that because we're all like that. We're here. We love the United States, but we keep a firm gaze on our countries of origin. And so we all don't want to lose that access. I get that. But please, please, the work continues. The next election is only two years away. In some cases, it's even a year away. Let's get ready and let's keep yeah. going. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I think that we are in a unique moment where we can continue to build uh, political power and build the movement um, that we want to see. We often hear that the Democratic Party is the part, the big tent party. There's room for everyone, right? There's a, a wide spectrum of folks with different beliefs and interests and values um, that we come together and we are connected on. And I'm excited, like I said about at the beginning, no matter what the results is, and I'm, I'm grateful for Dr. Hopkins also pointing out the fact that Trumpism didn't start with Trump, but I also want to uplift the resiliency of our people. Um, and I believe in that resiliency, right? And I am excited about what is to come because now we have people that are even more peaked, even more interested in coming to the conversation. I firmly believe when you create the space that you want and you invite people in, they'll show up. And we have done this work um, well, there are organizations in Florida like Ave Ensemble and, and, and Soka the Votes and Reggae to the Polls and all of these grassroots organizers who've been doing this work for quite some time. There have also been people at different the helms of presidential elections and on off-cycle years and midterm years pushing for our interests. We currently have a representative Yvette Clark that sits in the U.S. House of Congress, Representative Stacey Plastic that sits there and, and always elevates our issues. So what does it look like moving forward? We drill, we double down even more harder. We invite even more people in. We have these conversations. We continue to create these spaces. Um, because if not us, then who? <laughs> if not now, then when? Joanne? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like all the panelists before me have kind of captured everything I was going to say. I would just urge viewers to not pay attention to the Trumpism right now, right? We have two days, eight hours to get out the vote. What you need to do is ensure that if you have not, I mean, a few reminders. So if you still have your mail-in ballot, um, don't put it in the mailbox at this point, right? Depending on the state that you're in, you should either use a secure drop box that's available near you, or you should go to a polling location and hand it in right there to your local board of elections. If you visit vote.org, they've got information on where you can find all of this. If you're going in person, I would urge you like on a Sunday like this, if early voting hasn't ended in your state to go today. Historically, weekends are always slow. Um, it's better to go and stand in the rain with very few people in line than wait until election day where you unfortunately are going to be on top of one another. You're at greater risk of being exposed to COVID-19 um, and so forth. And if you're experiencing any issues, and I mean it, any, right, you're going in, you're being challenged around your eligibility to vote, right? You're being asked to provide an ID in states where that's not you know, a requirement, um, you know, there's any intimidating signs that are coming up in your county um, and so forth. Just the other day, I, I ran into signs telling non-citizens that they couldn't vote. And while we know this, right, we also know that it's a form of intimidation, right? It leads the voter who um, is of Hispanic descent, let's say, you know, to question whether or not they should be coming there because the sign was targeting them. So just making sure that if you're voted, that if you voted already, that you are dragging 10 other people um, out to go vote too. So text everyone in your phone, take your car if you have the capacity to drive people to go vote. On, on Tuesday, we are gonna see lines. Like we should just prepare ourselves for it. If you've got snacks, patties, whatever, you know, bring them to people, right? There are folks that are gonna be there for hours, unfortunately, and they're gonna need support. And then just remembering that, um, 
You know, I think it was wear Air Force. I'd wear a mask. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. And I think Andrew Gillum, um, you know, shared a quote the other day that I thought was just amazing. Like, you know, voting is just uh, the front door to democracy. I might be misquoting him, but just remembering that voting is not it, right? You have to remain engaged in the political process from here on out. So your state, your legislative session is probably going to be starting soon. There's a lot of bills that are going to be popping up around not just voting, but COVID response, right? Education and how we're going to be dealing with uh, the changes and so forth. Paying attention to those, contacting your legislator to let them know what issues you care about, talking to your local council, your mayor, to see if there could be a Caribbean commission formed, right? There's a lot that that we need to be doing we can't just stay we can't just vote and think that that's it and we can't only focus on the president we need to focus on the individuals who are making decisions on a day-to-day -day that are going to impact your life next week guys thank you so much uh words to live by uh, stage advice as as we move forward in this election cycle certainly uh for me as 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 a scholar as a phd student uh, these four years have been uh, very interesting, uh, but uh, I'm privileged to say that uh, I, I spent those four years in the, in, in the cocoon and in the safe harbor of Howard University. So that's something that I'm actually grateful for, Dr. Hopkinson and, and, and the rest of your team there at CCMS. Uh, folks, uh, listeners, thank you again for joining us for this edition of The Bub Report. Uh, next week, we're going to be turning our attention back to Grenada uh, to some issues uh, that we need to be following up on uh, on, 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 on in Grenada as well. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But until next week, Sunday, you guys have a safe week. Uh, remember those of you in the US who are eligible to vote, please do. Uh, it is your constitutional right. And thank you for viewing. Uh, my panel, just stay tuned. I'll be right with you shortly. Thank you, folks. Bye-bye.